write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden candles or lampstands. I know all the things you do. And God is acknowledging they're doing things for him. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Both good things, right? I know you don't tolerate evil people. They had a hunger and a desire for righteousness. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've tested people for false doctrine. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That's commitment. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. They committed to preserving their relationship with God, with pursuing righteousness, with doing the things they knew to do that were good. Yet the Lord says, commitment is not all I'm looking for. Verse 4, he says, but I have this complaint against you. You mean after all that, the Lord has a complaint? You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You've lost that first love. You're doing all the right things. You're being very religious and very committed. But you don't have that first love anymore. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. So again, this doesn't mean we don't do anything. But do them as you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. The church at Ephesus was committed to the Lord. But the Lord revealed it takes more than commitment. The Lord's looking for a church that will cherish Him. We're getting close to Valentine's Day. The theme of this service has been in line with loving God, loving each other. And we need to be reminded today it's not just about commitment. We have to harp on that because our generation is not very good at being committed. Right? So as a result, I find these words come out of my mouth all the time. You need to be committed to each other. You need to be committed to the house of God. You need to be committed to prayer. You need to be committed to reading your Bible. And although that's true, that's only for the times when things are tough. It's not supposed to be 24 hours a day where we're doing things out of commitment. We need to do things because we cherish the Lord. Amen. There's a difference, a big difference. And so today we're going to talk about that, being more than committed. More than committed. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for the songs we've heard and worshipped with today 
for those who have dedicated themselves to the different parts of ministry in this church to get everything ready for us to worship today, the beautiful songs we've sung, and we felt your presence as we've worshiped you. We felt your love extended towards us as we have sincerely extended our love toward you. And whenever we make up our mind to truly worship you, that's when you show up. Not when we're just going through the motions, but when we are extending our hearts toward you. So I thank you that we're doing that today. In the next few minutes, I pray you'll help me to communicate in the spirit you would have this communicated. That I'll use the words that I need to use so as not to cause condemnation or guilt or shame in any way for the challenge that is coming through this message. Because that's not what it's about. It's about you calling us closer to your side. It's about you revealing a truth that will bring us more joy in living this life. So Lord, I pray in the next few moments you just illuminate our understanding. You provoke our thoughts. You help us to to examine our motives for what we're doing in this life. Not just what we're doing, but the reason behind what we are doing. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. First, let me be clear. As I said, I'm not preaching against commitment. Commitment is fundamental to true love. It is necessary to true love. And we don't need less commitment. We need more commitment if we're going to choose. But commitment is not the sum total of love. There's a lot more to it than simply being committed. Being committed sounds like you're getting put in an institution. I was committed to the mental hospital. You cannot truly love without being committed, but you can be committed without truly loving. I think this is being recorded so... I'll just ask you to listen to them later if you don't get them at first pass because I can't keep repeating myself. Such is the case when we read Revelation 2. They were fully committed to Jesus, but they did not love Him as they did in the beginning. Whether it was the cares of life or the, the struggles and the trials or maybe some bitterness at having to hold the standard against the world... Something crept in that separated them in their hearts from God. Being committed is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause. It's good to be dedicated to the cause of Christ. It's the greatest cause there is. And sometimes, like David, we have to stand up and say, is there not a cause? Because we're all sitting around like there isn't one. But it needs to be more than just responding in dedication to a cause. Some synonyms for commitment are all good words. Again, dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, faithfulness, fidelity. We need all these things. It's admirable to be committed. It's necessary to be committed, but it is not meant to be the main ongoing motivator. Commitment keeps us in troubled times. It's an anchor during the storms of life when it seems like everything is pulling us away from the Lord. Commitment keeps us anchored. 
Commitment says, I've made a decision to follow Christ. Though the whole world goes another way, I will follow Jesus. That's commitment. In the case of our spouse and troubles of life and struggles of life, when, when everything in our flesh wants to abandon, dedication says that is not an option. I will not abandon the promise I've made. And that's not to cause any condemnation for anyone who sits here today and has had previous marriages. That's to say, the one you're in now needs to be that attitude. I am dedicated to my spouse. For better or for worse. What happened to those words? Sickness and health. Rich or poor. I'm dedicated But at some point, our love needs to mature beyond dedication, commitment, loyalty. And it needs to be motivated by a cherishing motive. To cherish means to hold dear. I'm not just doing this out of obligation. I'm not just disciplining myself. I hold this dear. I'm willing to cultivate and care for this. I'm willing to invest my time, effort, and energy to nurture my relationship. Not because someone's making me. Not because I know it's the right thing to do. But because I can't think of anything else better. There's nothing of higher value in my life. It's the greatest privilege to do this. And somehow the church at Ephesus lost sight of the privilege of serving Him, and they were doing it out of duty. In life groups this week, we had a lesson that examined Nehemiah and his rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Despite immense resistance and distraction, he was able to embark on this effort to rebuild the walls. And from the very declaration of rebuilding the walls, he faced opposition. As soon as he said, I'm going to rebuild the walls Enemies came out like cockroaches. Cucarachas. And as we looked at chapter 6, it told us that there was three things that the enemy tried to distract Nehemiah with. Number one, he tried to get Nehemiah, the, the leaders of the enemy, to go to a place called Ono. That should be his first clue. Oh no. A place of retreat from his work. A place to relax. It was a place where the wealthy went and they relaxed. It was luxurious. It was comforting. I can just see the invitation. Come on, Nehemiah. You deserve a spa. You deserve to relax. You've been working harder. Your muscles sore. Come get a massage. But Nehemiah was too focused on his work And he declined the invitation. And it was good because they had evil intent in their heart. They wanted him to retreat so they could do him harm. But Nehemiah didn't get distracted by comfort. Secondly, the enemy tried to distract Nehemiah with gossip. Gossip and rumors... And false accusations are well-worn tools of our enemy. 
We should expect gossip to come our way. But we should be ready to handle it properly. Dismiss it. Ignore it. And by all means, don't be one who continues in it. Let that be the end of that telephone game. Some of you may never play telephone, but again, just look it up. Google it or something. I love how Nehemiah responded to the gossip. He said, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that if they could discourage us, they could stop the work. So my response was, I continued the work with even greater determination. I'm hearing all kinds of bad stuff about people at church. This person's lying and gossiping about my spouse. This person's saying all this bad stuff about people who are Bible thumpers and following Jesus and doing all this crazy stuff the Bible says. But you know what? It's okay. The world can think what they think. I am going to serve God. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what Facebook says. And all the people that are experts out there and the media has turned everyone into an expert. I'm not going to get distracted by gossip. And finally, they tried to distract Nehemiah by hiring a quote-unquote prophet. A quote-unquote man of God to convince Nehemiah he should lock himself in the church. Quit building the wall. Lock yourself in the church. Read it. Chapter 6. It's there. And the enemy is happy to convince us to do the same. Don't worry about reaching the world. Just lock yourself in the church and stay safe. Lock yourself away until Jesus comes. If you can be saved, that's all that really matters. Save your own neck. But Nehemiah saw through it. He knew that God would not send someone to tell him something different than what God was telling him to do. There's a lot of men of God, women of God. Just like there's a lot of people against God, there's a lot of people that are supposedly for God that will tell you how to live your life. But if they're telling you something that's not in the Bible, I love you, God bless you, I'm acting like I'm listening, but I'm not. I'm thinking about something else. I'm, it's kind of like when your spouse is talking to you sometimes. My eyes are focused on you, but my brain is miles away. And I'm not saying that's okay. But I'm saying in this case, it is. Be nice, nod your head, blink. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Okay, have a good day. Walk away and flush. But the reason, the main reason Nehemiah was not distracted was not because he was so impressive in his work ethic, in my opinion. The way he was able to complete the wall in 52 days is because his primary motive was to bring security to the people of God. You know what, God, if you read Nehemiah, God didn't even have to go and get Nehemiah and make him do it. Sometimes in Scripture, God and goes gets someone and tells them, go do this. And they do it because they're doing it out of duty. 
But Nehemiah, he was motivated by compassion for the people of God. He was in comfort. He was one of uh, the ones who served an earthly king that treated him well, but that wasn't good enough for him. He was motivated by love. He wasn't just operating in duty. God didn't tell him, build the wall in this many days. Build it this high. Do it this way. Maybe He gave him wisdom to do so, but it wasn't a commandment that came forth in the Scripture. It was Nehemiah responding to compassion in his heart. The pastor didn't have to find Nehemiah and tell him to do it. Nehemiah was happy to do it. More than commitment. We need more than commitment as we serve the Lord. And since we're close to Valentine's Day, not everyone here is married, I realize this. But if you're not and you plan on being married someday, don't tune out. You need this. Gary Thomas was recently on Focus on the Family, which I would recommend you listen to. There's apps for your phone. You can play the broadcast. And there's his presentation is a couple of shows on there. But he talks about his book, Cherish, the one word that changes everything. Cherish. He encouraged listeners to truly cherish their spouse. And again, he wasn't knocking commitment or duty or obligation or fidelity or faithfulness, but he's saying it's got to be beyond that, kind of like we're saying today. You have to truly look for and celebrate the things you value in your spouse. Look harder for the things that are good than the things that you don't like. It's easy to find the things that annoy you. It's easy to find the things that rub you the wrong way. But to truly love and to cherish, we look beyond those things to the reasons we fell in love in the first place. Well, I just can't find anything good in my spouse. You did at one point. Hello, first love? Hello, you sat across the table and shared a drink and goo-goo-eyed at each other? I won't tell any stories on mamas and papa, but there's some funny ones. How they behaved. They were lovesick. You don't have to be a teenager to be lovesick. But how many of us have allowed the issues of life to come in and take away that joy? Take away the the desire to please our spouse. When you're dating, you don't constantly point out each other's faults. You ignore them. So why is it different down the road? It shouldn't be. We just need to keep our focus where it needs to be. Wives need to quit comparing. Don't worry, I'll talk to husbands in a minute before you get all in the ganter and don't even listen. As soon as I say wife, some of you are like, he's going to get on us, I'm not going to listen. 
I'm going to get on husbands in a minute, okay? Ladies first. You need to quit comparing your husband to the Fabios of soap operas. Novelas. Your husband's not in a romance novel, and neither are you. We're not all playing 90 minutes of a chick flick. Real life is different. Okay, men in real life don't come home from work, walk through the door in slow motion with mood, mood music playing in the background and their hair just fluffing in the wind and they're just glistening and, and then they just walk in and just grab their wife and spin her around and her, her breath is gone. Oh. That's not real life. But we get these fairy tale ideas. This is what marriage is. No, it's not. That's somebody's fairy tale. And marriage is better when it has true love. It's not always the same, but it's actually better. Because there's substance to it. And men? Men? It's a little more serious. But you need to quit comparing your wife to. The women whose physical blemishes have been airbrushed out. That magazine in the checkout line, that's not real. That's called airbrush. That's called Photoshop. That's called digital mastering. Also, there's, there's all these surgical procedures that are being done to fit society's latest idea of what's attractive. Ribs are being removed and stuff's being puffed out all over the place. It's not natural. So don't expect your wife to be that. Let her be what God made her to be. She doesn't look the same as when I married her. Neither do you. Have you looked in the mirror lately? We have to get past the superficial to the real. And I applaud you if you're still married today. That's an accomplishment in our society. Go ahead and give yourself a hand. But that's not enough. I'm still married, bless God. I haven't done anything good for a while, but I'm married. I haven't left I haven't walked out the door yet. It's not enough to coexist in the same house. That's not the epitome of marriage. Commitment again is only for the struggle. The struggles will come. But that's not supposed to be the mature aspect of your relationship. Cherish them. Focus on their strengths. Edify them. Value them. Do what you can to serve them. 
And as the bride of Christ, just as we are supposed to be a physical spouse, we are supposed to be a spiritual spouse. We are the bride of Christ. Feels weird saying that as a man, but we are a bride. We are the bride of Christ. And so a few things I want to just run through to show you how we should look at them. I'm just going to ask some questions. And, and if it doesn't apply to you, just let it go. But think about it. Think about these things. Is this how I'm approaching these things? Because as Christians, again, we can get performance driven. Where our decisions are based on how we are performing. We're actors in a play. But our heart's not really in it. Obviously, our number one value is our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our chief motivation for everything we do. The Bible instructs us of the two greatest commandments we've already read today. To love God and to love others. Every commandment in the Bible is for those two things. Love God, love others. If we're doing it for some other reason, we're doing it for the wrong reason. If we're just obeying God's commandments out of guilt or shame or performance or a get out of hell free card, that's the wrong motivation. Again, sometimes we need a fear of God because when we're immature, sometimes we need that boundary. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now I understand that means we, we don't have much wisdom until we have the fear of the Lord. And it means that too. But it's also just the beginning. It's not the maturity. The maturity of wisdom is cherishing God for who He is and obeying Him because we understand that's what's best for our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. Not just what's best for me, which is what most of us Americans filter everything through. What's best for Him, what's best for others, then whatever I need will be taken care of. Not take care of me, then figure out what God wants, then maybe it considered others. Jesus, others, you, is joy. Jesus, others, you. Joy. And when we serve the Lord out of these wrong motives, we have a minimalistic mindset. Everything is, what's the minimum I can do and get by? And again, we adopt that. We see that in the physical in marriages. People are married and doing the minimum they can to not get divorced. What's the minimum I can do so my spouse won't leave? What's the minimum I can do so I don't have to go through the legal mess of a divorce? Wrong mindset. What can I do? What can I do as a privilege to you, to serve you, to serve others around me? Every standard of living, and again, because we are 
A church that tries to pursue a lifestyle that values righteousness and holiness just as they did in Ephesians. We have to make sure we are not being legalistic about it. It doesn't mean we stop doing it and say, oh, that's all legalism. No. That's ridiculous. But we have to avoid the temptation to have the wrong motive for doing what we do. We have to do it out of love. We have to do it out of love. The Word of God. Some days we're going to need to discipline ourselves to read the Bible because we're not going to feel like it. We understand that. But we need to mature beyond being disciplined to read the Bible every day. We have to make myself do it every day. Somebody might check on me to see if I've been reading and I have to tell them I have a word today, but I read a word. I went to the word. One word. (laughs) And I'm just going to ask some questions. When was the last time, if you ever have, did you literally take the Bible or an iPad or whatever and just literally hug it and say, I'm thankful for the Word of God? I remember there was times in Bible school where I literally fell asleep holding my Bible. First love. When's the last time I couldn't wait to listen to the Bible? The last time I listened to it with utter delight, with a heart of thanksgiving, with an attitude that says, how does this apply to me so I can please you, Lord? So I can serve others. So I can be less like me and more like you. We need to value prayer. Just a few more minutes and be done here. We need to value prayer. Just like reading the Bible, prayer is about relationship. Reading the Bible is relationship. God's word, he's not, him and his word are the same. His word is a declaration of who He is. So we're just learning about Him. And when we pray, we're not just doing a religious exercise. We are communicating with the Lord. We have an audience with the King of Kings. And when was the last time we approached it that way where we couldn't wait to get to prayer meeting? We couldn't wait to get home and close ourselves in the closet or wherever we pray. That we prayed knowing that we are impacting eternity and we counted it a great privilege to bring up someone's name before the Lord. Do we value prayer or is it a religious exercise? We value spiritual growth. Again, Bible reading, prayer, things like life group. These are ways that we grow spiritually. When's the last time we were headed to life group and we were excited about it? We were thankful to be going because not only were we going to be edified, but we're going to get a chance to edify somebody else. We're going to get a chance to get to know someone else better. We're going to get a chance to share the love of God with somebody else. That's what life groups are for, for us to grow in a relationship with God and with each other, not to put another thing on the calendar. Trust me, I hate asking anybody to do anything. 
But we need to approach it as a privilege. We go because we want to grow in the Lord. We want to be more like Him. And certainly if there's better ways to do things, I'm always open to it. I mean, I'm not going to change as far as get rid of life groups. They're here to stay because I believe it's God's will. But if there's better ways to do it, if there's different activities that we can do, if, if Tuesday nights when we get together and pray and study the Bible here at the church, if there's better ways, I'm open to it. But we need to go valuing growth. Not because someone's going to think I'm backslid if I don't show up. couple more. We need to value the diversity of the body of Christ. We need to value everyone in the body and really everyone outside the body of Christ. Everyone in our community, everyone we come across, we should value them. We should be thankful that God made us different. And I believe it was Tony Evans that said, God made a man and a woman, a husband and wife different because if you were both the same, one of you would be unnecessary. We are different. We complement each other. We're different physically. We're different intellectually. We're different emotionally. We have different personalities. We're different. God made us different. If he values snowflakes enough to make them different, why do we think he's not going to make humans different? And it's not something to resist, it's something to embrace. We have different gifts in the kingdom. We have different roles in the kingdom of God. We have different roles in the family. And it's not about equality, it's about function and order. And we need to embrace it. Quit being jealous or envious because someone else can do something better than you. There's something you can do better than them. Instead of trying to do what they're doing all the time, just relax and do what you're supposed to do. It's okay. We need to celebrate diversity in the body of Christ. We can have differences. If it's not biblical mandate, we can have a difference of opinion. We can function and, and act differently. And with the media and society going out of their ever-living minds, with these issues lately, trying to divide people in every possible way, we cannot let that filth in the church. When we walk through those doors, we are one body. There's no longer male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor. We're all one in Christ. Different roles, different gifts, different abilities, different functions. Yes. But we are all one in Christ. None of us is more valuable. None of us is more important. We are all the same. And when we truly value each other and we truly value our differences and we truly value our place in the body of Christ, gossip is taken care of. How do you gossip about someone you value? You get together with a guy who loves cars? He doesn't talk bad about cars. Some people love their car more than their wife. 
But they never, they'll sit there and, and tear down their wife or, or their children. And then they go to their car and they're just beaming with pride. My car. Because they value their car. And when we value the body, we won't tear each other apart. And I understand from time to time, we have to confront issues that are causing friction. And we have to confront issues that might be causing something to be heard or whatever inside of us. We don't have to be doormats, but our desire must be solution-oriented, not just to tear someone down. We have to be careful who we talk to and how we express it, because ultimately my goal is for the health of them and me. Because I value my brothers and sisters in Christ too much to go around tearing them down with my words. There's no room for gossip in the body of Christ. And we value each other. It doesn't become a commandment where we whisper because we're afraid we'll be heard. Or my favorite, put in the form of a prayer request. Please pray for so-and-so. Did you hear what they did? They need our prayer really bad. Let's be fasting. At least the next five minutes. And pray. Because that's horrible. I would never do that. But let's pray. Let's pray. What's our motive? We can even spiritualize sin. (laughs) We value worship. Last thing until we close. We value worship. Going to the house of God is a privilege. And again, you're here today, and I applaud you and I commend you. I don't say any of this to discredit you being here or why, and I'm not judging why you're here. I'm asking you to judge yourself, to think about it. What is my primary motive for going to the house of God? Again, there's going to be tough times. There's going to be seasons in life. I would be foolish and dishonest to say that this never is going to be a struggle. But again, it's not meant to be always. There should be times, yes, where we are literally dragging in here. But we got here. So praise God. But there needs to be other times where we walk in and we just... In God's house. I'm with God's people. I get to worship today. Thank God. I'm so thankful to be in His presence today. Again, if we can if we're totally honest with ourselves, sometimes we only go because of what others will think. And sometimes we only go for again just escape hell. If I go to church, God's got to take me to heaven. Because He can't send me to hell if I go to church faithfully. That's not, that's not fair. That's not just. So I'll make sure I'm there. And again, I'm not saying this as a judgmental statement to anyone. God decides who goes and who doesn't. But there will be many that cry, Lord, Lord. Who do not go to heaven. Because they're not really serving Him out of a heart of love. 
there's another motive that is primary. It doesn't mean, again, we're always going to be totally clean of all impure motives, but what's the primary? What's the primary? It has to be love for Him. Amen? That's a big difference. It's a big difference. So when was the last time, again, just a few questions, where we just quit focusing on every note being played, every note being sung perfectly, the song being my favorite genre, the song being on my playlist of Spotify, the size of the choir, And when do we forget about all that and just say, I'm here to worship. Now, we obviously are blessed with talented music. We have amazing musicians and singers. But we need to focus on Jesus. Can't leave church and say, well, they didn't sing my song today. So I just didn't worship. When are we going to get a banjo around here? Bless God. Tell you get a banjo. I'm not worshiping. All right, I can worship now. Now we got some knee slapping music in there. We do our best, but it's ultimately about worship. Worship. Whether there's one person singing or hundreds singing, it's about worshiping Him. When's the last time we quit focusing on who was praying and who wasn't and just prayed? When's the last time we quit trying to figure out what time it is and how long the preacher's been preaching? Well, it's 5.04. We always quit at 5. What's going on today? When's the last time you quit doing that and just focus? I know that's hard for us. <laughs> we have short attention spans. But focus. Friends tell me when they go to foreign countries, sometimes they make them teach them all day long. They're like, I had to teach all day because they kept telling me, keep teaching. I'd want to quit and they'd say, keep teaching. Keep preaching, please. Keep on going all day long. In America, it's like, yes, please, stop. <laughs> the first chance we get to quit the preacher, please quit. That probably sounds self-serving, but I, I, I'm the, I can only say it because I'm the only one that can say it right now, so I have to say it. I have a volunteer come up and say it next time. I'm not trying to be self-serving. I'm just saying. Where's our priority? I have to hit these things every once in a while and it may get tired of hearing it either because you're convicted or it's a broken record, but whatever. You can let that Netflix next episode starting in 10 seconds. Do we interrupt it? No, we binge watch. It's been three and a half hours. 
I watched 14 seasons in two days? How'd that happen? Where did the time go? What day of the week is it? I just remembered I haven't eaten. I haven't used the restroom. I haven't done anything in hours. And we're just, huh? But it, church goes more than 90 minutes. <clears throat> I got stuff to do. Like binge watch. I have a show to get to. I'm going to have to stay up a little bit later and sleep in, not be able to sleep in and be a little more tired at work because I'm going to have to watch a show later because church went longer. I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm just asking you to think about it. Okay? Think about it. If it's not you, just let it fly on by. It's priorities. It's priorities. Relation, it's, again, it's all about relationship with God and with others. And again, it applies to our, our families. Parents, are your children annoying more often than you are loving them? Why are they annoying? Usually because we want to be doing something else. And they just want attention. I know that one stings because it is really quiet in here. I didn't put this part in my notes. It just came to me. But our children shouldn't have to always compete for our attention 24 hours a day. Doesn't mean we, it's not healthy for us to have alone time. Doesn't mean they need to be in bed at a certain time and us to have some alone time. Doesn't mean any of those things, but they shouldn't always have to compete because eventually they will just stop trying. And if you'll go to orphanages in Africa and places overseas, there's rooms full of babies who are not crying. Because after a while of being there, they know the staff can't possibly get to them in time. So they just quit crying and they just wait. You know, sometimes a child's cry is a sign they believe they're going to be helped. They believe someone loves them enough to respond. If your child quits crying, if your child quits asking for your time, your attention... They've given up. And they're listening to someone else. They're getting advice from someone else. And I'll just pick on Netflix. I don't have a sponsor, so it's fine. They don't pay for me to be up here today. I know there's many other media forms, but Netflix is not a good babysitter. Just because it's a kid's show doesn't mean it's wholesome. It's good stuff today. Not because I'm saying it. It's good because it's true. 
It's God's word. It's principles to live by. So I didn't preach for about a month, so I'm way under my... I had like two hours I could have preached today because I didn't preach for a month. So I'm letting you guys off early. It changes our whole life. It changes our marriage. If we're married, it changes our relationship with God as Christians when we learn to cherish. When we do things out of motive of cherishing Him. And I understand. And I don't, I don't mind being transparent. If people lose respect for me for being transparent, so what? Sometimes I get up here to preach and I'm doing it out of duty. I'm doing it out of obligation because I know I have to preach. I know I have to, I have to get up here and perform so you guys won't just tune me out. But that's not God's will. Occasionally, reality is that'll happen because life's tough. But through the trials and the struggles, sometimes we go longer than we should without just loving what we're doing. Without just enjoying what we're doing for God. Conclusion. Save this one for last on purpose. And you'll see why. We have to value altar calls we value altar calls many church services when the preaching is done church is done they even get upset if someone starts praying bless God while the pastor is closing in prayer you're supposed to be quiet and I just lead you in prayer and then you leave altar call is not a religious formality. It's not a Pentecostal objective. Altars are all throughout the Word of God. The altar call is a time for us to respond to what we've heard because otherwise, we are all so busy, we'll run out those doors, and if someone surveys us five minutes later, we might remember a couple of things. Someone surveys us the next day. Maybe the title, if we're lucky. By next week, what happened last Sunday? We had church? No, it's not that bad. But we have to give God's word a chance to get in there. We have to value the seed enough to plant it. Right? Because again, you don't, you don't have to go to the farmer and make him plant his crop if he values the crop. Someone's not showing up at the farmer's house every day saying, get out in the field. You got a job to do. He's waking up early. He's sweating all day long. He's doing the work that needs to be done because he values the seed. And when we truly value the word of God. We want to take time to bury it a little bit. So that we don't leave without at least responding a little bit. 
to what we've heard. Because it's dangerous to be hearers and not doers. And it's very easy to hear message after sermon, after sermon, after sermon. And when we look at our life, have we really changed? Oh, nothing's changed in my life because I'm not applying the word. So altar call is not to make me feel good that I preached good. Oh, pastor, let's go to the altar and make him feel good today. It's not about that. It's about saying, Lord, I value what I've heard today. And I want to be closer to you. And the altar's burdens are lifted. Rest is found. Healing flows. Forgiveness is granted. The Holy Spirit is received. Jesus meets people at the altar. And so many Sundays, not again just generically, just broadcasting seed, but in Christianity as a whole, so many Sundays God wanted to do more. But we put in our obligatory time. Who would like to go on a date where the person is looking at their watch the whole time? Or their phone. We do that to each other way too much. But we just sit across from the table and we engage. And we don't act like we're in a hurry to get out of there. We're not acting like it's a jailbreak. I'm glad I get to be here with you. Spend this time. It needs to be that way in our relationships with each other, in our relationship with God. Don't worry, again, I'm not going to change service time to four hours every week and say we need to be spending more time. No, we just need to be engaged while we're here. Truly focused on Him. Amen. So Anna comes. Again, we, we just have some music to help us stay focused. To help us really engage with God. We're just going to take a few minutes. And again, there's no timeline. Like Nehemiah, nobody's going to make you do anything. But we're just going to take uh, some time and just say, Lord, I'm thankful for your desire to have a relationship with me. I'm thankful that even though I'm so unlovable at times, you still love me. That when I feel like I'm beyond help and I'm beyond reach, your arm is not short. Your promises are not slack. No matter how many times I've been unfaithful to you, no matter how long I've been away, as soon as I desire to come into your presence and I desire to be home again, you're not there to wag your finger at me and condemn me for the time I was gone. You're just there to embrace me and restore me and renew me. 
Help us, Lord, not to be condemned about anything we've been challenged by today. Condemnation is not of God. Conviction, yes. But only to help us get closer, not further away. Lord, help everyone here to be encouraged today. And as we respond to what we've heard today, help us come in love. And I know we've had some struggles. Some of us are currently in a struggle. Maybe perhaps we've neglected to really cherish our relationship with you for a while. Help us today to just purpose in our hearts to cherish you more. To get, try to get rid of the bitterness and try to get rid of all the disappointment that life has brought us and just say, Lord, I'm here for you. Not for people. I'm here for you. First and foremost. Because you created me. You loved me. You came and you died. Shed the blood of the cross. That I could be forgiven today. I can be set free. You took stripes on your back. That I could be healed. You suffered shame. So that I could be set free from shame. You died so that I could live. So that I could live. I'm thankful for you today, Jesus. So Anna begins to sing just in your own way, in your own words, and where where you're at, or if you want to come forward. Just let's just take a few minutes as we close today, expressing our love to him.